Galatians 3 and 20 and it reads thus the scripture says behold I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open up the door I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me amen I'm just gonna read it one more time then you can take your seats behold I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door I will come into him thank you Lord Jesus and sup with him and he with me may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the words we take the seats thank you Jesus hallelujah thank you Lord Jesus I was actually the song we sang earlier if I could just get this a little piece of that um, I think it says God will work it out God will work it out just where you are sitting right now just hear the song will work it out one thing I know one thing I've found God will work it out God will work it out God will work it out one thing I know beautiful yeah God will work it out one more time God will work it out God will work it out Um, it's just been a reassurance. I've been listening, thinking about the song a lot this week. And, um, you know, life can throw all kinds of things at you. I looked at the situation we're seeing in playing out in Eastern Europe right now. And it is a tragedy that is being laid out in front of the whole world. And we seem powerless to stop from the inevitable from happening. And I wonder when I hear about the disaster of the, they bombed a particular location with children in it. And I'm like, what, how can it be that serious that that needs to be what we're doing right now? And you wonder about the state of the world and you wonder about the state of humanity, frankly. And you wonder to yourself, how is this ever going to be okay? But I just want you to know that somehow I believe, regardless of how bad it is, that somehow the Lord will work it out. And I'm not saying this as a way to get myself out of being involved, because I think we need to be active. We need to be prayerful. We need to be finding those places where we can help with donations and clothes and food and shelter, but we need to be active. I think the church should stop having a back seat to these ideas and start having a front seat. 
Because I genuinely believe there's an answer to some of the problems that we're facing today. And I'm asking you to, as we kind of think about this week, think about the prayer inside of you that sits in your heart but doesn't necessarily make its way out. And I want you to kind of exercise your power of prayer this week. I want you to think about those folks who have struggled to see their children move away from them safe to safe locations while they stand there and defend what they're defending. I don't have a horse in this race, just to be very clear, but I do want to make sure that humanity is okay. <laughs> if they're okay, then maybe I've got a chance of being okay. And so while we this week, I just want you to pray with me, be active in your prayer life, and pray with me for these people, amen? These last few weeks, thank you Lord, we've been talking about authority and the power of God, and we've also simultaneously been talking about from the book of Revelation, and that we've also been talking about. And that one scripture I've read, and I'm going to read it one more time, um, is an important one in the construct of what I've been thinking about for authority. Uh, because what's important about authority is how you choose to exercise authority. Like, you can have all the authority in the world, um, but how you choose to exercise that authority tells me a lot about you. My mom and my dad, no, my mom had this particular saying. She said to me when I was younger, she said, mind how you treat people on the way up because you might meet them on the way down. When you have no authority, when you have growing this authority, power, money, influence, fame, whatever you want to say as you're ascending in your company ranks maybe or whatever it is you're doing, whatever your mind is set at, when you've got the house in the neighborhood you want, but then there's going to be a come a moment when you're not going to have those things. And she said, be very careful how you treat people on the way up of your ascendancy in life because you may just see them on the way down. So what she was trying to tell me is with you, be careful what you do with your authority. Like you have all this opportunity, but he's saying be very careful what you do with your authority. And so I've been asking myself, what did Jesus do with his authority? <laughs> and using that as a mechanism to say what I would do with any influence or authority I might think I might have. Like, can I use him as an example? And so I want to read that scripture again, and then I'll get into the text of my, my, my scripture today. Again, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The reason why I was fascinated by this scripture this week is because of the act of knocking and who's doing the knocking. Like, there's one thing you'll know about my particular address. I live, um, I live in Hilliard. If you ever come to my house and you see me knocking at my own door, you know something's wrong. Because I own that place. Right, that's mine. It absolutely is mine. In fact, <laughs> even if I go in through the window, it's still mine, right? Like, it doesn't matter which way I choose to go in, it's still my house. But, you know, it's funny, a door kind of represents not just the entrance, but the authentic and correct entrance into the house. Like, if I saw my neighbor trying to get into his own house through the window, I'm going to know something's wrong. Something's gone wrong with this, because it usually goes in through the, it's the right way. In fact, if you have multiple entrances into your house or a building, you usually have to say which is the right one to people. Like this is the entrance and this is the exit. Otherwise people get confused and they go exit gets, ends up being the entrance. Doors are a invitation and a kind of a social contract about how you're supposed to interact with the building that you're there to see, right? The door represents everything. 
But if you're in charge of the whole building, you can actually decide how and when you're going to get into that building. You know, there's no, there's no, you don't have to worry about it. Like, if I want to go into the garage one day, that's my business, it's my house. If I want, in fact, when I was younger, I remember um, my bedroom at the back of the house um, when I lived in England, we had a semi-detached house, which is like a house attached to another house. And the kitchen was on the side of the house, was a single story, and my bedroom was around the back of the house, so I could climb up. I don't know why I did this. Please don't do this, you folks. Like, I'm not asking you. This was me being silly when I was younger. I used to climb over the first floor, round the back, into the back. <laughs> I was terrible. If somebody had seen me, they would have had every reason to think I was a thief, right? Because I'm coming in through the wrong entrance. It would have been a reasonable conclusion. Somebody's breaking into that house. But my youth and my athleticism and my not thinking things through, thought that was a perfectly reasonable way to get in and out of a house. But if somebody would have seen me, they would have known something was wrong. I'm trying to avoid detection, and maybe I'm out too late. Whatever it is, they would have seen something's wrong. But when you own the house, my dad, there is no way I could have a locked door in our house, of our home, and my dad would, if he has to push a door too hard, like, it doesn't even have to be locked. Like, I accidentally put some clothes behind the door, and that in his mind is me trying to lock a door he owns in his house. And he's gonna be like, who's locking doors in my house? I paid the bills. <laughs> Why are you locking doors in my house? But that's a type of ownership, he owns the house. And the other thing that kind of determines ownership of a house, you may be paying the bills, but I have a theory that whoever is controlling the temperature really controls the house. I like a, war I like a cool house, not so for my house. My wife likes a warm house. You can tell who's in charge, not by who's on the lease and the deed, but by who controls the temperature. But whoever's in control of it, they get to set the rules, right? I get to say what the entrance is, what the right way into the house is, etc. And I was thinking about when we were going through Revelation, how the Lord said, how the chapter one of, of Revelation began by talking about how amazing Jesus is. It starts talking about Jesus, that he's the holder of the seven stars. That he's, and the seven stars represents the messengers of the church. It also tells us that Jesus is, is right in the middle of the seven candlesticks. And the seven candlesticks represent the seven churches. And he's standing there in the middle of the seven churches and he's speaking to John and he's telling them to, to listen to, to him. This is the revelation of John and he's saying, basically the revelation, the word revelation is from the Greek word apocalypse, which means to reveal something. And he's saying to them, I need you to listen to me because I've got something to tell you. And through it, there has these, all these beautiful names for Jesus and all these descriptions for Jesus, which invites us to worship him. Let me read a few of them for you. It says, he's the holder of the seven stars, that he who walks among the seven candlesticks. It describes him as the first and the last. It describes him as he who was dead and is alive. All these amazing descriptions of Christ, right? It says, he who has a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, meaning that his power is in his words. He has definitive authority in his words. This is an amazing description of Christ. 
keeps going on to say he has eyes like flame. And he goes on to describe what this means, meaning with his eyes, he can see straight through you. He has the ability to search the heart and the mind. This is who Jesus is being described as. And he's standing there in ownership of the church, right? Standing in the middle of the church, Revelations tells us, and there's a ring of golden candlesticks around Jesus. It's a symbolic and a prophetic scripture that tells us how important Jesus is to the relationship of the church. He's standing there in charge, first and last. He's the maker. He's the one who did all this. And he's standing in the middle. Let me read a few more descriptions. It describes him, him as having the seven spirits of God. It describes him as the holy one and the true one. These are descriptions we, we should only reserve for the eternal spirit, but it is no robbery to say Jesus is equal with God. It's not a robbery. That's what the scripture tells us. So referring to him as the holy one is describing him as God in the flesh, right? And so the holy one, the true one, what else does he describing as? It describes him very importantly as the one who holds the keys of death and the grave. This is important. This is an important one here. He holds the literal keys to life and death and the thing that contains life and death, which is the grave, right? He's the holder of that keys, meaning he has authority, right? I have authority over my house because I have the keys to my house. My wife has the same set of keys over everything. We both have authority over the house. If you want to get into my house, you either have to knock or you need the keys. Right? Otherwise, you're a thief. That's what the Bible says. You go any other way, you're a thief if you come into this house, right? And so Jesus is standing there with all this authority, with all this ability, with all this authority over the church. He's the one standing in the middle of the church. And yet in chapter 3 and verse 20, it tells me, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Doesn't sound like somebody with authority, but he does. And what he's showing you with his authority is that he loves us. How do I get to that conclusion? If he just wanted to, and if he has all this authority and power, he could just break down any door. In fact, one of the other descriptions of Jesus, before I get a hold of myself, he said he has the ability to open a door and no one can shut it. This is what Revelation says. He also says he can shut the door and no one can open it. The frustration my father had with me, not in Jesus' but you have to worry about that for Christ. He has the ability to open a door and you have to ask permission to close it. Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22, if you go to that real quick, you'll see where this recognition of who Jesus is gets described. He's the holder of the one, he's the one who can open the door and absolutely no one can do anything about it. You found that, sir? Yes, sir. Could you read that for me? And the key of the house of David yes. will I lay upon his shoulder. Yes, they're talking about the Son of God, that we're going to find the Son of God, and he's going to have the key of David, meaning he's going to have right to the throne that David had. Yes, so he shall open, Yes. and none shall shut. Right. And he shall shut, and none shall open. So this re repeat in Revelation is from this scripture that says, the one who is the son of God will be able to open doors, and no one can close, and be able to close doors, and no one can close. But listen to what it says in verse 21 again. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What do you do with your authority? 
He's the one who holds the keys to life and death. He's the one who is in the middle of the church. He's the one who is the beginning and the end. He's the one who's the resurrection. And he's standing patiently at the door of your heart and says, I'm just going to knock and wait for you to invite me in. <laughs> That's a kind of humility I don't think I recognize. I've once left my keys on the inside of my own house by accident and I was forced to knock my own door and I, I don't know why I was so mad because I was knocking on the door and I was waiting for Tani to come and open the sister Tani to come and open the door for me and every second that was going past was a frustration to me I felt my frustrate my anger rising because I know this is my house and yet I'm standing on the outside knocking to try to get permission to come in. It's not right. It wasn't my wife's fault. I'm annoyed at her when she gets to the door, like as if she left my keys in there. Absolutely not. But I'm frustrated. But he's saying there, I'm standing at your door. I'm supposed to own what this house is, what this church is. But I'm standing at the door and knocking. Of all the things, to be honest, of all the things in Revelations that we're supposed to be kind of nervous about, this is the thing that bothers me the most. The idea that Jesus would be at my heart's door, knocking instead of already being on the inside. This is the thing that concerns me. I want to make sure our hearts are open to him and him alone. Like my preaching, my teaching, my desire is to make sure that we have close relationship with the Lord. And it's not close relationship if he's stuck outside trying to get in. That's the opposite of close relationship. You know what you do for the people who are closest to you? The ones you trust the most? You say, oh, the door will be open, just come on in. Like the people we like the most, the people we trust, maybe we've got a spare key. I think Sonia has, should have a spare key, I hope she still does. If she wants to, need to get in my house, she can get in there. Because I trust her completely. She don't have to wait, have to not, she does it out of politeness, but she doesn't have to. That's what I want for the Lord, not to have to wait for me to finish what I'm doing, for him to get invited into my house. And what the book of Revelation, what those first few chapters are about are people everywhere in the seven churches making priority for other people, and the Lord's waiting on the outside, knocking, even though he has the authority he has. We can do a better job than what we're doing when it comes to his authority, I think. Let's keep reading. I'm going to come back to this, but let's keep reading. Let's go to St. John, um, chapter 10 and verse 9. St. John, chapter 10 and verse 9. In fact, let's go, let's start at um, verse 1 and let's go, go down to verse 9. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, and the same is a thief and a robber. So now Jesus in this parable is using an example where he's a shepherd and he has sheep. And if you know anything about shepherds, their whole value, their whole life um, fortune is wrapped up in the sheep. They don't have other assets. That's why they have, that's why they're shepherd, right? The shepherd is, the, the sheep is the value to the shepherd. It has all the value there. So if you have a place where you've secured and you said, this is where I'm keeping my sheep, you have a way to get in and out of that particular location. That is authentic, that is correct, that is the right way, right? That's what he's describing here. So he just says, 
Yes. He then enters not by the door. If you're not entering by the door, there's something wrong. Like you don't have right to the sheep, to the value that he has here. Let's keep reading. Into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way. Yeah. The same is a thief and a robber. Right. Verse 2. But he that entereth in by the door in the and the is the shepherd of the sheep. So if you got access to the front door, if you can come in through that front door, he's saying you're actually the shepherd for these sheep. Yeah, that means you, you are the right person for these sheep. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. <laughs> so the shepherd, he has such an intimate and close relationship with the sheep, that not only does he have access to the sheep anytime he wants, but he has an individual name for each of his sheep. He's literally able to call them out one by one. Say, ah, yep, yep, Larry, come on, come on out, it's your turn. You come out. He literally has names for his sheep and calls them out. Let's keep going. Verse 4, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. So what is what is going on here is Jesus is saying that those who follow me and know me know my voice. But if we go back to Revelation, I'm not going to dive into the details of Revelation, but Revelation 1 tells us that Jesus is standing in this middle of the golden candlesticks, which are the seven churches, and he's speaking, and only John outside of the golden candlesticks is hearing him. They're not hearing his voice. Like Jesus is speaking to them and they're supposed to be hearing, but they're not actually hearing what he says. In fact, he speaks and John hears him outside and he's instructed to help the scandlesticks, to help the church. But we've got to be in tune with the voice of the Lord to make sure that we are in fact his sheep. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, and a stranger will they not follow but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And here's the beautiful part here that is happening to that church and that we pray never happens to us. You see, we have to use Revelation, the, the, the seven churches in Revelation, as an ability to think about our relationship today. Yes, that's first century. Yes, that's back in Roman times. Yes, that was a long time ago. But we've got to say, how does it apply to me today? How does that correlate with what I'm going through? And the problem is, is that we've been listening to the voice of strangers and when the voice of Christ comes in, we don't recognize it. <laughs> and so instead of going to the one who owns us, the one who's keeping us safe, we're going somewhere else. And what Jesus was saying to the church is the same thing he's saying today. Don't fall for the other voices. They may sound good, but they don't have the ability to look after you. They don't have the ability to take care of you, but I have the ability. I am the first and the last. I am the holder of the stars. I am the one who was dead and is now alive. He has both authority and power to take care of the sheep. Amen? Let's keep going here. Verse 6, this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were so it's funny when you're doing it when you when you're preaching to people and you're teaching to people it's actually not helpful if they don't understand what you're saying it's not like that's the, not the whole that's the, the whole point is to them to understand it in new and different ways and Jesus after giving this parable they didn't understand what in the world he was talking about <laughs> but what does he go on to how he go on to explain it verse 7 then said Jesus unto them again verily verily I say unto you I am the door I of am the, the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Not only this, let's keep, actually, let's keep going down. Um, let's keep go, go, go reading down. Verse 8, all 
that ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Yeah. I am the door. Yes. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Keep reading to verse 11. The thief cometh not but to, for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that thou might have life, that thou might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. What's interesting about this particular parable is that Jesus is actually two things in this parable. This is unusual for a parable. Jesus usually describes himself as one thing within the parable. It's the true vine. He's, you know, the light. And that's the kind of way he describes it. But this time he describes himself not only as the shepherd, but as the door. The shepherd and the door in this example. I'm going to focus for a little bit on the door because that's the most important part I want to focus on here. Is that if he's the way into the kingdom, if he's in fact the door, then we need to make sure, if we want to be authorized to get into the kingdom, we've got to make sure that we go through him. <laughs> the way into my house is only through my door. You want into this kingdom, you want into this church, you want into the eternal life, you go through the door. <laughs> There's no other way around it. I would love there to be a different way for you all to take. You can take your own way, you can, but you don't have the ability to go through walls, so you need authorization and access. And he says, verse eight, 9, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Here he is inviting anybody to come through him. And I need to now jump back to Revelation because I need you to see the contrast with what's going on. He says, I'm the door coming anytime. And then he turns around and says to this to them, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you see the contrast? Somebody with authority saying, I'm here at your door. I am the door to everything. I am the way. I am the shepherd, but I'm standing at your door and asking permission to come in. You, if you want to be saved, all you've got to do is open the door. If you want to be okay with Christ, all you've got to do is open your heart to him. Meanwhile, he's telling you, you need to be saved by coming to me, but he's waiting for you. I love, his, I love the grace of God. I love the love of God. Because for us, you, you know, some people, get, they get a little bit of money, they get a little bit of authority, and they act funny. They act kind of funky with it. They, 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 you, they get a little bit of money, and all of a sudden, they're a little bit bougie. <laughs> they're a little bit, you know, you can make an appointment with me to see me at this time. You know, they get a bit exclusive. Jesus is saying, I've paid, I'm the owner of the keys. <laughs> I am the one who's standing in the middle. I am the first and the last, but I'm waiting for you. I am the one who is Alpha and Omega. The king, you know what? I bet you know the Queen of England has never, not once, knocked on any door and waited for any amount of time for anything. She walks around Buckingham Palace, everybody's opening doors for her, right? Can you imagine her asking, um, can I use this room? No, yes, you can use this room. It's your house, <laughs> right? But yet the King of glory, he who sits in eternity, what we do with our authority tells us about ourselves. 
There are some people who, once they have a bit of power, money, and authority, are as generous and magnanimous with it as possible. They'll find people to give it to. They'll find people to share it with. But then there are others who close out that opportunity to everybody else. And Jesus is here standing at our door and knocking. I want you to think about the image of him, this king of glory, this one who is eternal, standing at the door and knocking. And I want you to be more open to letting him in. <laughs> Look at what he says so beautifully, and I'll take my seat. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him, just waiting patiently, and will sup with him, and he with me. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word.